Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. But I'd like to share with you what is the ethical core of the gospel. So three weeks ago, we had Easter. The consequence of Easter, the core consequence in terms of our ethical life together is this. Jesus speaking on the mount. You've heard that the law says that the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for two. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your your coat as well. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and to the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that for you? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, How are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So he's right. A number of Old Testament passages, although it doesn't say hate your enemies, a number of passages speak of destroying the enemy, even their children. Old Testament passages that speak with just deep wrath about the enemy. And because of what Jesus says, we don't have now the luxury of pulling those passages and applying them. We have to look at those passages through the lens of the words of Christ himself. And that is, we don't have the luxury to hate our enemies. And if we can't hate our enemies, who can we hate? It's no one. That's not like our Father in heaven. It's not like Jesus. We don't have permission to hate at all in any way, shape, or form. And so when Jesus says this, we, we wonder, where did he come from? He's just come in from Saturn? I mean, this is alien to human experience. It's so strange, it's so odd, it's so out of anything that we would anticipate. We would at least expect him to say, love your neighbors 
and at least try to be fair to your enemies, something of that sort, something in between this and that. But instead, he calls us to a standard that it's almost, if it, if it is not impossible, it's almost impossible to reach. And we, we live with this reality virtually every day. Do we not know of so many instances in which that, that magma of, of, of hatred rises up within us and every now and then it'll break out and pour out? And we hate. And it hurts. It changes us. Shortens our lives. Makes us something that we don't like. Times of London, back in about 1906, sent out a letter to a number of authors and writers and pundits asking for them to write back and they were collecting some essays about uh, what is wrong with the world today. So they asked, what is wrong with the world today? And they received one letter back that said, dear sirs, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. And that's not to say that everything that was going on in the world, that somehow Chesterton was sort of the the, the point through which all of those problems passed. But it was a way of saying, before I can talk about what's going on out there, what's wrong with everything out there, I've got to look at me. And when I look at me, <laughs> well, that's what's wrong with the world. So Chesterton, a Christian and a prolific writer, the first half of the 20th century in Great Britain. And perhaps one of the greatest influences on C.S. Lewis reminds us of the need for us to have a deep and profound humility about ourselves in relationship with others. And Jesus says, before you go and remove the plank in your brother's eye, remove, or pardon me, the speck in your brother's eye, remove the plank in your own. Look at ourselves before we so freely, openly, carelessly, recklessly hate others. So it's painful. It's hard to even turn on a news broadcast today without hearing the hatred spewing forth. It's hard to read what's going on in the political realm without hearing so much contempt. It's like we're, we are suffering from an addiction of contempt. And, and I'm reminded as I, was, as I was flying, reading up there during the early hours reading and thinking and looking at articles, I was reminded by a couple of great men in, the Amer in American history. One says, before the outbreak of the war, first, or the sun, pardon me, the, the Civil War. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break the bonds of our affection. That was Lincoln's first inaugural. And then after the war. Do you not know 
that we defeat our enemies when we make them our friends. The the deep and profound ethic of our faith, which says to love one another and to love our enemies because our enemies are our neighbor. Jesus demonstrated that in the story of the Samaritan, the one who was hated. And here in this passage, when he says, if one of those soldiers tells you to carry his pack, (laughs) well, the Jews had a recent history of being overthrown by the Greeks, and they rose up and took them out, and then soon thereafter, in come the Romans, and they were under occupation. They couldn't stand the Roman soldiers. Of course, they made some friends with some of the individuals, but they couldn't stand them. And Jesus says, if one of those guys, one of the oppressors tells you to do this, not only do it for one mile, do it for two. Somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. It's just, it's almost incomprehensible. And when we see those standards applied in our time, we think, where is the voice of Abraham Lincoln? And now we live in a, in a time in which, because of critical theory, which was developed in the 30s by Marxist-Leninists in Frankfurt, Germany, has morphed into what is now called critical race theory. Now, if you are a white person, you are a racist. And critical race theory is calling people racist. And then if you're a black person, you're a victim. Of course, if you're a victim, somebody owes you something. And justice means that you get what you think you've got coming. I mean, this is the state of affairs. But I was reading Martin Luther King. He never talked about whiteness. He talked about the other as brothers. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. Doesn't label white. I have a dream that my four children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. So permission is given to hate because the Christian ethic is draining out. Imagine if we lived in a nation where because we disagree with someone or we disagree with the state in power that we could be arrested in our homes and carried off to a a labor camp. We thank God that we've got a nation that has two parties where we're free to disagree, where we can come together as a people 
with different perspectives and, and express ourselves, and we can learn from the other. We can grow because of disagreements. If we all agree, if we're all standing in one place and looking in the same direction and all we see is the same thing together, none of us grows and none of us learns if we have only one perspective on life, on governance. As a nation, we will collapse. But the ongoing, open marketplace of ideas that allows for discourse, for people to talk, for people to exchange ideas, for people, yes, to at times get angry, but as Jesus says, get angry, but, get angry, but don't sin. That we, in so doing, with that high calling to which we've been called to love one another, even to be perfect as our Father is perfect, when we live with that high ideal, we grow, we stretch ourselves, we do our best knowing that that person, we don't cast them into the outer darkness, we do what we can, because none of us want to be rejected. What is it we really, we, we really want? We don't re want revenge. We don't want to destroy people. What we really want, even with a person with whom we most disagree, we want to have some, some sense of collegiality. We want to come together. We'd like to know that we're large enough to love even a Democrat <laughs> or a Republican that we have the personal largesse to love after the example of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says that while we were yet enemies of God, he still died for us. The example of God to us, the calling of Christians, is clear. And... And the calling of Christians to love one another and to love our enemies and to find a place of reconciliation, we live longer when we do that. We live better. For about five years, I had breakfast every week with two atheists. And I learned to love these men. And I grew. They were always wrong, but I still grew. <laughs> and I learned a lot. But I loved them. When one passed, I buried him. The other's a dear friend to this day. And I, I learned so much. Last week was a funeral service that I did. I was delayed in going to Michigan because one of my dear friends who's an atheist lost his wife, and I performed the service for them. I love them, and I'm glad I do. I don't like to stand off and say, those awful people over there. I'd rather be a little bit more like Jesus. Remember the story of Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill? Tip O'Neill was Speaker of the House. Ronald Reagan, of course, was president. Those two savaged each other in the press. So Reagan decided that he was going to have Tip O'Neill over to the House on Thursday nights. 
And at six o'clock, they'd crack open a bottle of scotch. And from that point on, there was no talk of politics. It was all family, friends, sports, anything but politics. And these two men loved one another. They learned to bridge the gap simply by acting out of their, of their deep ethic. That is the ethic that Christ gives us to love even our enemies. So the rival high school was coming to Riverside to play us. And I was a senior. And on that team was Earl Hogue. Earl, Earl and I were sort of seen in the entire league as the rivalry. As tall as I was, strong, great jumper, great athlete, <laughs> wonderful man. So at the end of the first quarter at the sideline, one of the, other, one of the other guys on the team said, Anderson, did you feel Hogue push you in your back? I said, no. He said, yeah, he came up from behind you and he just shoved you in the back. So I didn't, I didn't see it, I didn't feel it. We well, did. So second quarter, I went out there, there was shot going up and I was sitting, standing next to Earl for the rebound. And before the ball even hit the rim, I, <clears throat> in his rib. He backed away. I don't remember if I got the rebound, but I got my elbow in. And it felt so good. And then during the game, I looked up and I saw my dad in the stands. And he looked at me and he... Settle down, Kurt. He would tell me. Relax. After the game, all showered up. I walked outside, and there was Earl waiting for me. And I thought, okay, here we go. I had my bag over my shoulder. I dropped it. I walked up to him. And he put out that massive hand of his. I shook his hand. And we embraced. <clears throat> and then he said, my daddy reminded me what they say in church. They're just to love your enemies. And he said, brother, you're not my enemy anymore. You're my friend. We must do what Jesus says. It's no different than when we were in kindergarten, dear brothers and sisters. We do what Jesus tells us to do. It is a high calling to which we've been called. And when we live into that high calling, life is just better. And when we learn to love our enemies. We have a hard time seeing another human being and not seeing through all the externals and instead seeing the imago Dei, the image and likeness of God himself.
in the other. And when we do, we can be warmed, we can be touched, we can smile. So we take not our lead from the current cultural mood. We take our lead from the ancient truth. You bow with me in prayer. Thank you, O Lord, that you trans transgressed the boundary of hatred because we were your enemies. Though you never hated us, we only accepted a part of you. Thank you, O Lord, that you embrace us fully as we are. But you love us so much you don't leave us that way. But day by day you transform us into the image and likeness of your very Son. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.